All right, uh, now let's uh, take a couple steps back and let's talk about this uh, client or patient who's uh, gone through conservative care, he's failed conservative care, he or she, and uh, we have the privilege now of Dr. Preble has done a surgical evaluation, has recommended surgery to the, to the neck or the cervical spine, as you've heard us talk about. Now I want to turn it over to Dr. Preble to show you an actual surgery that he did on a, on a young man and the steps that he takes to, to do that surgery and to ensure that this person will have a rapid recovery or as rapid recovery as possible. Uh, Dr. Pribble, I'll turn it over to you now. Okay. You're giving me a wide uh, berth here. But uh, uh, let, me, let me mention a term or try to define a term that you use, like how does one determine when you have failed conservative therapy? And this is a, this is a term that has different definitions in different specialties. Ah. Uh, in, uh, in a, I would say. New. Well, it, it is, and you have to consider uh, typically, uh, some of the national guidelines talk uh, conservative therapy only about six, eight, six to eight weeks, maybe no more than two or three months, uh, which is in insurance patients. Nobody has the luxury of being a year or two under chiropractic and or physical therapy care. So um, we need to remember that uh, the national guidelines talk about six to eight weeks, maybe maximum three months before, if you fail conservative therapy up till that point in time, then you become a surgical candidate and then you get the surgical evaluation. Uh, in, in the PI business, uh, we, we see varied, varied times time intervals of how long patients will actually will be considered still under active treatment and not having failed conservative therapy. So uh, by the time I see them, many times is a year, two years. Very rarely do I see somebody less than a year. Majority of patients have wow. been in uh, misery and pain deemed by other physicians as not having failed yet. And you know, how many times do you give an injection? How many times do you do a rhizotomy on somebody before you concede, eh, well, okay, you're not, you're not getting happy. Uh, you're not getting any better, so you're not happy. Something needs to be done. Uh, so this is where the patient comes in. Many patients will just go along and, and assume that everything is fine. Few, few patients actually say, look, this is not working. You got to stop doing this. Send me somewhere else. And more and more, Educated patients uh, uh, do that. There's still, however, a proportion of patients that do not uh, uh, do not or are not given an indication by their practitioners that they are under the care of that they have failed. So by the time they come to me, obviously they have failed conservative therapy. And as I, I just want to point out that the time could be anywhere from a year to two or three years. Um, but typically, uh, some individuals try to send uh, uh, them sooner. Some are very responsible. So what I do then, I look for uh, indicators of what is a failure. Is it a failure of not improving as far as pain is concerned? Have you returned to work? Uh, are your activities of daily living normal? Uh, what is it that you gave up in order to compensate for the pain? And by and large, you see that most patients, their activity level starting out here, this is how they compensate. So they go from being very active, leading full life, to being a couch potatoes. They gain weight, they're not happy. So, so you ask them, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing okay. But they're not really doing okay. They're doing miserably. Yeah, because like they've even... given up on their 
life. Right. And even I had epidurals and, and they last, uh, some of them after a series of three, uh, maybe I had six and because I, I could, and it, they still failed and I ended up in surgery. Uh, but typically epidurals don't work, right? Well, they may or may not work. Uh, I mean, permanently I mean, fix the problem. Not, they're it's, not it's a, a permanent a fix. Stage, it is right? a Band-Aid, yeah. I, I mean, you yourself uh, went through that, so you know. Yeah. And basically, again, you remember the physicians that you were with would tell you, oh, you're not ready for surgery yet. Let's try this. Let's try more. Let's try more. Let's try more. And, and the overall tenor of the care is that don't want to do surgery. Well, why do you not want to do surgery? Surgery is a perfectly, perfectly legitimate. I mean, we're trained to be surgeons. We're trained to help people by surgical means. Other people are trained to help them with injections and pain management and uh, popping pills and whatnot. But, but, but you see, the the point is, you got to define your failure. Failure typically happens a lot sooner than by the time the patient comes to me. When, they, when, when I determine that they have failed, that they have weakness, they got to have weakness. They got to have numbness. I got to find it. And I, I check both hands. I check both feet. I do a thorough examination. I do some things that most people don't do. I don't, uh, you know, do the typical uh, sheet that everybody else does, a checkoff sheet. I really look for symmetry side to side. If a patient has a little weakness on one side, pronation, supination, I notice it because that's real. I see if they have to pinprick, little difference in the way they appreciate the pinprick. I have a tuning for. I measure vibratory asymmetry. All that tells me and allows me to trace it back to the level. And I look at the MRI, and if there's a disc, sure enough, you have a legitimate reason. Let's that's talk about it. I, that's when I recommend the surgery. Let's talk about it. <clears throat> let's, show, let's show this uh, a video of you doing Super. the surgery, and you can explain it to us. Well, uh, so what I do is uh, then they have to, you know, the decision for surgery is complex, and patient needs to understand, they need to agree to it, and then they need to show up for surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they'd schedule it and not show, but I guess it does. That's important, isn't it, for the patient to show up? It is very important, but (laughs) believe it or not, I've had patients who have not shown up. But anyway, so uh, the surgery uh, is uh, conducted, uh, obviously, in an outpatient center. I do all my surgeries in outpatient surgical centers, and patients go home within about two hours after they recover. And they all walk. They don't go in ambulance or in stretcher. They, They go home, family takes them, and they're fine. So in the cervical spine... Typically, we identify the level and mark the skin. And so then in the skin, a small about one-inch incision is made after patient obviously is anesthetized. Sometimes I monitor, sometimes I don't. So once the incision is made uh, in a very careful and safe manner, you go down uh, by protecting the carotid vessels and the carotid uh, uh, sheath, and you move the breathing tube and the swallowing tube to the other side, you establish a safe corridor between those two vital structures and end up at the front of the spine. There, then identify by x-ray the levels that are diseased, and then those levels under microscope magnification are cut out. And then I remove it with uh, a, uh, a certain rangers. Uh, I can see if the disc is herniated, because when I go through the 
disc, uh, I am uh, able to inspect the posterior lateral ligament membrane, and that shows me if there is a rent or a tear in it, and if there is a disc condition uh, underneath it, below that, to the side, exiting along the nerve root. These are the things I look for. Then I free up under microscope all those uh, uh, pieces of disc material and whatever disc osteophyte complexes there may be. And when I see normal pulsations within the spinal cord come back and within the nerves, then I feel that my decompression is finished. And then I use a trial device uh, for the implant that I particularly use at this time. It's called a ProDisc C. So I use their trial, make sure that it looks good on the x-ray, make sure again that I'm at the right level. I create a trough in the spinal vertebra above and below because this implant, the ProDisc C, has a keel. The keel gives it an extended structural integrity so that I can have my patients whip their head from side to side. <laughs> if I was using an implant that does not have the keel, I would be less inclined to let them do that. So when you create a trough, how, how, how much do you know, like, how deep to go? Uh, it's all under direct visualization. The, uh, the uh, uh, trial has the appropriate uh, position where the trough is going to be. So I simply drill like a, a one, one and a half millimeter uh, hole, and I make a trough out of it. Um, both uh, above and below. Then I remove that. If there's a lot of bleeding, I use material like flow seal to stop the bleeding. I can use bone wax to stop the bleeding once I'm comfortable. That again, we're in the uh, good space. Everything looks good. There's no profound bleeding. Then I take the appropriate size implant to correspond to the trial, and we place it right over the uh, mortis or, or the, uh, the appearance of what the artificial disc should look like inside or the space that I've created, and then I gently tap it in. And the video shows that how we're tapping it in, and every tap is monitored on the x-ray and on the fluoroscopy, and when it's in the perfect position without going past the uh, vertebral body line behind and in front, then I deploy it, meaning I, I, I seat it inside and remove the applicator, and that's basically it. Then I just stop all the wow. bleeding. I put in a, a drain, and we close up. A uh, patient wakes up in uh, 20 minutes. I ask them, how are you doing? They have to be able to get up. They have to be able to walk. They have to be able to pee and talk to me. And if everything is fine, they're, they're moving their hands, have no pain, then in two hours uh, they can go home. What kind of machine are you, are you even if you are using a machine to do these type of surgeries, because I know they have the Da Vinci robot does a lot of things, but what do you actually use? I use my hands, God-given hands. Yeah. Um, the the robot, the robotic surgery, has an interesting uh, development. They were designed originally to help you uh, create a trajectory to put in pedicle screws. A very simple, primitive. Uh, but at the same time, very complex and necessary step in the uh, fusion of the lumbar spine. So using, using three-dimensional software, using a, what's known as a stereotactic type software to allow you to move and uh, have a proper trajectory uh, to avoid neural structures, the pedicle screws are placed into the various positions and you connect them with a rod. In the cervical spine, the, the, surgical, uh, the, the robotic surgery is, is nowhere near, although I'm sure somebody's working on that, it's nowhere near, and it'll, it'll be decades, uh, probably half a millennium before it replaces a surgeon, surgical hand, surgical skill. 
Uh, it's a judgment. It's a give and take. I when I'm operating, for me, it is almost like a spiritual moment. It's like my temple. Mm. I I have to I have to be one. I have to know what lies behind where I can see it because I have to remove many times mm. what lies behind a little bony. Uh, excrescence or edge of the vertebra that I can't see. I have to do it by feel. So this is this is a very engaging process. You cannot engage the robot through you to the patient. We don't have a haptic connections to do that. And the fluoroscopy uh, for our listeners, that's like an active x-ray that's ongoing the Continuous whole time. Continuous x-ray. Continuously. Correct. So yes. you can see everything like on x-ray as Correct. well as... Correct. Okay, and that's the that's the safety mechanism to make sure that we don't transgress a certain barrier, certain line. Otherwise, there are catastrophic results. Sure. Now, doctor, to our listeners that are considering a neurosurgery or speaking with a neurosurgeon, even where can they find you? Well, I am in Winter Park. I am uh, on uh, uh, the address is one three one one West Webster Avenue in Winter Park. My phone number is. Uh, uh, three, uh, no, 407-357-0635. Took me a while. <laughs> it's our new location. And uh, and your Instagram. Yeah, you got an Instagram And on my too, Instagram. Right? And also the easiest is to go to drpribble.com. Drpribble.com. Drpribble.com is my website. All of my contact information is on there. Uh, also some of the Instagram uh, videos, testimonials, and uh my curriculum vitae and all those things are on there. So, so there's a plenty of ways of contacting me. So it's d r p r i b i l dot com. Yes, sir. Okay, fantastic. Well, um, I, I I think my mind has been overloaded with so much information <laughs> that I think we could do a whole series on that because there's so much information that you can't just speak on it within. I an mean, hour, this is an know? insane like specialty surgery, right? It's not every doctor that can do the surgery. Not not well, even not even specialty doctors can even do. Yeah, you need a specialist to the specialist. Well, you know, as I said, many of us are painters and we use all brushes, but we don't paint the same way. I'm sure that people do their best, uh, and I'm sure that other practitioners do their conscientious due diligence and. And there are very good surgeons beside myself. I, I, I don't want to let on that I'm, I am the one and only. There's plenty others. As long as there's two or three standard deviations below me, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And Dr. Uh, Pribble is, uh, we're fortunate to have him here as a neurosurgeon to explain this. And uh, someone that's done thousands of these types of surgeries. And, you know, someone that is there to educate his patients which would be our clients as well. Uh, that's important to us. And, you know, being board certified and having all those years, 41 years of experience is fantastic. And from my standpoint as being an attorney for in August, it'll be 40 years. Mm. Um, you old. I am getting there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I appreciate his experience levels and his experience. And uh, there are only 3,000 neurosurgeons in the United States. That's so, actually, there's more about actively practicing. Actively practicing. probably not That's more insane. There's yeah. more... Lamborghinis, huh? <laughs> no, it's, you know, so I mean, it's it's a sub. I mean, it's a specialty. I mean, it really is. And now, Brian, so, what about you? Uh, where can someone who's been in an accident find you? Well, you can always find me at uh, briancruz.com. B r y a n c r e w s dot com. Uh, my office. Uh, been here 
20 years, 1137 Edgewater Drive, Orlando, Florida, 32804. Phone number 407-841-0200. You'll hear it again at the end of the, end of the, <laughs> the podcast, and but yes. Once again. Uh, hopefully I didn't mumble. I just wanted to point out that the main thing I learned today is the importance of having a good team of attorney and physicians as well. Uh, when you have an accident like that, because it's really just about the team you have, uh, team the people behind you. Um, it is. It's you know us at, uh, at the office here. We have relationship with doctors. We know where to send you, where they're going to care for you. And same thing with the doctors. Sometimes you'll go to the doctor first, and they know attorneys that can take care of you as well mm-hmm. because you need both of them to have, you know, to be successful with all of this. Well, Absolutely. that's how we get a lot of our, our clients yeah. are, are from doctors, and they know us and trust us. And, you know, we in turn uh, know doctors and trust doctors, and uh, that's why Dr. Pribble, Pribble is here as well, uh, as we know him and trust him and uh, look forward to working with him in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on, doctor. Thank Appreciate you for coming on, guys. You. And guys, I uh, I implore you, if you are listening or watching the podcast, make sure you definitely leave a rating and review on iTunes because that helps us out tremendously. And uh, hey, just uh, share it with a friend. That's the best way you can um, expand and do all that stuff. So go ahead and do that, guys. And we will catch you guys next week. So thank you for listening and watching Behind the Gavel. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Behind the Gavel. Join the discussion on social media at Behind the Gavel. Again, that's Behind the Gavel, all one word. Tune in after the break for a preview of the next episode of Behind the Gavel. Hi, this is Brian Cruz of Cruz and Pascara. If you're in an automobile accident and you're injured, listen up. First, go to the hospital. Next, call your lawyer. Why? Because you need advice. Call Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer. 407-841-0200. 407-841-0200. Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer.